0: Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, believe in the good news. Try this, the kingdom of God has come near, turn your life toward it, trust that you too, even you, can know good news and know the abundance of courage and adventure and hope and generosity and peace and justice and above all love, all good things in and for your life. Okay, but what is this kingdom of God that has come near? Jesus will try to teach us that through images and parables, lost coins and mustard seeds. But the idea is still proven elusive. Leave aside the challenge of talking about how great kingdoms are in a nation that is founded on getting rid of one and start thinking about how we might talk about it. I, I, among others, have tried to talk about it relationally and said, well, the kingdom is more like the rulership of God or the reign of God. But it still has within it a sort of sneaking piece of subservience that is little different than service, almost a demand something that is not quite okay. Um, it, you, I still hear it in, in language like reign or rulership. still doesn't sound like good news, especially when it's being proclaimed by someone who's, apparently speaking for God in some way. It's the kind of reality, part of that package of realities that leads many to reject religion while claiming to value and hold fast to spirituality. It's problematic. But I read a blog or a website in the last couple of weeks that suggested a new way, suggested maybe we should try to think less about the kingdom of God and maybe try thinking about the culture of God. I found that fascinating. Maybe that can get us away from unhelpful intimations of subservience or traditional attempts to talk of God over against the world, which is sometimes called two kingdoms theology, for those of you who've dug around in this area before. In 1951, Reinhold Niebuhr, explored the relationship between Christ and culture in a book of that name. It's still a useful introduction to thinking about the relation of religion to the surrounding culture. Is Christ over against culture? Is Christ separate from it? Is Christ transforming culture in some way? Well, as I've thought about it, I thought about how do we get enculturated? What are the, the markers of culture? And it's about practices and developing habits. And I've come to believe that what we do here is critical for, for our being formed in and towards and for the culture of God. Because what we do here is develop practices of faith and generosity and turning repentance, turning toward what really matters. I, I remember a professor of mine once saying that, that liturgy was the hub of the wheel, that it was the center of everything that happened. And I remember thinking, I can, to this day I can remember thinking, thinking God, I hope not. Uh, If if my vocation is all about jumping up and down on Sunday mornings in a funny dressing gown, then I'm in the wrong place. But I will say over time, I've come to think that, while that doesn't get to it fully. What we do here week in and week out, sometimes gloriously and sometimes more mutedly, is really, really important. I've learned that it's when we repent or turn toward that which is of ultimate worth and allow it to shape our lives... Our response is to challenge our ethical decisions. When we remember what matters, then human flourishing and character are what result. But there are many liturgies of this kind in which we participate, things that are practices that imply something about what is our end and what is our purpose. It's pretty easy to think about what we might call secular liturgies. It's, uh, there are some obvious ones. A presidential inauguration, uh, for example, which would undoubtedly be improved by Verger's organizing the procession, which I always find to be sort of a sort of a mess it 's telling us something about who we are it 's reminding us of something that matters for our citizenship and a nation, our freedoms, our responsibilities, and so on. We sing a national anthem, we, we enjoy lots of military performance and sometimes get a tip of the hat at, to the creative arts with a poem or a special song or something. But the whole exercise implies something about who we are and what matters and how we should live. But there are many other uh, kind of liches that are much more subtle. Like, um, uh, imagine, imagine uh, Jane or Tom going to, going to the mall and uh, he goes into the narthex where he's being oriented toward this world. There's a map usually saying which stores are where and what floors. Maybe he, maybe he wants something Maybe she's seeking something but doesn't know what it is, but some kind of fulfillment enters a space where daylight's usually missing and time is marked by the banners celebrating whatever holiday or festival is calling forth celebration through consumption this month. And and this cathedral, just like those of the Middle Ages, accommodates many different activities at once. Think about all these side chapels where things are going on, they're full of relics and artifacts and icons and plenty of vestments. Um, and they're filled with promise for life. Buy this stuff and you're going to feel good. And look at all these other people who are happy. Well, it's kind of obvious in a way. But what Tom and Jane are being taught or told or what vision for themselves might they be breathing in? Or by what might they be shaped if they, if they go to the mall in this kind of spirit? A theologian who teaches at Calvin College, a man called James Smith, suggests it's something like I'm I'm broken, therefore I shop. Or I shop happily with others and I feel connected. Or I shop therefore I am. You know? It's 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 I mean it's one thing to go to the mall, which for me is a foretaste of eternity in the wrong place, but the <laughs> It's one thing to go to the mall and actually want to get something, and, you know, get it and go home. It's another thing to kind of know how good it feels to have something new and keep going back for that feeling. And somehow it doesn't quite satisfy and it goes on and on. It's, it's, it's easy to be shaped in a secular liturgy that orients all value around our capacity to consume. And what does that say about our end and our purpose? Or maybe Jane or Tom... Uh, younger, Maybe they get into the university of their dreams. And they're certainly going to be informed in some discipline or other. Information, incidentally, that is usually available on the web or elsewhere for free, or at least a lot less than the $60,000 his family is going to spend or borrow for one year. I'm just saying. I've got a senior in high school. It's on my mind. But Tom or Jane are going to be formed, maybe even transformed, by the liturgies of the world they are entering orientation, rush, parties, the big rituals around sports events, dorm life, so on. And James Smith says this, taken together, all these facets of the university build up a generally frenetic and frantic pace, rhythms of expenditure and exhaustion with little room for Sabbath. This too turns out to be Excellent formative preparation for the real world of corporate ladder climbing and white-collar overtime needed in order to secure the cottage, the boat, and the private education for the kids. Cynical, but wrong? The worship in these years binds us in all kinds of ways into a tribal identity that tells us the kind of people we are, and, and that's important when you consider the billions of dollars that we collectively give to our colleges each year. What are we learning about what makes us human? And what is our purpose from such enculturation, such formation, such liturgy? It's, it's like when we go to the cinema or the movies, it, it's not so much what am I supposed to get out of this, this film, what ideas, but the question is more uh, what, what's going on, what's be, what, what am I learning about myself by this activity? That's what I mean by secular liturgies. And for one hour a week or thereabouts, we push back. The culture of God is not against university or shopping, but it's a reminder that our real value is that we are beloved and that the highest and best fruits of our striving are not material riches as much as they are those things which really matter on our deathbeds. How how we've adventured, how we've risked, how we've been compassionate and generous, how we've responded to challenge. And above all, we're reminded about the purpose and importance of love among and for all those whom God has made. And that makes a difference in the choices we will make and the biases we will carry and the orientation toward which we will strive in a sinful and broken and compromised world. The kingdom of God, the culture of God is very close. Turn again and again. Remember that you, even you, can be restored, freed, fulfilled, whatever your current material circumstance. And be not seduced by the worship that caters to your desires, but leaves you less than you were created to be. Practice faith that you may form life-giving habits rather than those that are so easy to gather, like how good that first drink tastes, but the hundredth maybe not so much, or that how, how good it is to have something new, so keep going shopping. These are numbing habits, life-numbing and diminishing habits, as opposed to practicing generosity, practicing love. Believe in the good news and invite your friends to share in it with you as well. That's what happens with the disciples, turn toward what matters and there will be a call to live toward what matters and it makes a difference. In our customary time of silence, I invite you to consider what it might mean for you to live out of the reality that you are valuable because you are beloved and to do that consciously for a few days this week. How might that shape your choices, your relationships in the days to come? Might it mean you've got to do something difficult and you will do it slightly differently? Might it mean you're in a relationship and you want to be a little more transparent? What does it mean to be a sign of good news if you turn turn anew toward the culture of God? In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.